This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. It's a real pleasure to share with you some recent analysis regarding human-specific genes and genome structural variation. So our interest uh, in, in understanding human origins really stems from trying to understand the genetic differences that make us uniquely human. And of all the morphological changes that have occurred, to us, the most interesting is the evolution of the human brain, and particularly the expansion of that brain, which has occurred over the last six million years, leading to essentially increase in neuronal count, increase in volume, and what's less controversial is an increase in synaptic density. So we're interested in understanding more complex forms of genetic variation, and I'm going to be talking for the most part today about the role of duplicated sequences. So duplicated sequences are a two-edged sword in our genome. On one hand, they provide pretty much the raw material for the evolution of new gene function. And the way this occurs is, and this is true for every species, is you have a gene, we call it gene A, it becomes duplicated gene A prime, and additional mutations occur to lead to that new gene product we call now gene, gene B, either having new function or have actually acquired one of the other functions of gene A. So it is the primary force by which new genes evolve within species, and we're interested in looking at these events really from the most recent perspective. The other aspect of duplicated sequences is by dint of their homology, they can actually drive genomic instability. So the way this happens is, and I'm just showing you here two chromosomes that are misaligned during meiosis, is because of their high sequence identity, the chromosomes align where they shouldn't. A recombination event occurs, and when this occurs, this leads to essentially gametes, and you could imagine this as either egg or sperm, that have acquired or lost a duplicated sequence. So what's really important about human genomic architecture with respect to these duplicated sequences is we have a disproportionate number of our duplications actually interspersed. And so what that means is when this phenomena occurs and it leads to gains and losses of that duplicated sequence, It also leads to gains and losses of the intervening sequence, which is often gene-rich and is represented by A, B, and C. And so if these genes are haploinsufficient, triplosensitive, or imprinted, the result is disease. And there's close to 35 different genomic syndromes in the human species, mostly associated with autism and developmental delay, that are a result of this type of unequal crossing over. So what do we know about human segmental duplication organization? Well, segmental duplications refer to the most recent, highly identical duplications, greater than 90% identical. And this shows you with the blue lines, the pattern of intra-chromosomal duplications in the human genome. So the one thing I want you to note is you can actually see that a lot of our duplications are separated from their nearest neighbor by often megabases of sequence. It turns out that on the order of 60% of all of our duplications are interspersed. That is to say they're separated by at least a megabase from their nearest neighbor or located on a completely different chromosome. So this is the pattern, and I know it's almost impossible to see, but this is the pattern of intrachromosomal duplications with biases near the ends of the chromosomes, which we call subtelomeric bias, biases toward the centromeric regions, which we call a paracentromeric bias. And what you can't see here is the short arms of human chromosomes we now know are loaded. In fact, more than 50% of their mass is made up of these duplicated sequences. So these duplications are highly interspersed in our genome. And what's important for this discussion 
is what you're looking at here is duplications that have evolved over the last 40 million years of primate evolution. Of these, there's about 1,100 protein coding genes of the, the 20,000 that exist in our genome that are mapping. And these are the ones that we're specifically interested uh, for this discussion. So about 10 years ago, a former postdoc of mine named Thomas Marquez and myself, we started a project where we wanted to understand the genetic diversity in other uh, species other than humans. So we began a project to really sample the genomes of 79 wild and captive-born great apes from chimps, bonobos, gorillas, and orangutan, including an analysis of subspecies. And the goal was very straightforward here. We were going to sequence with short read, in this case, Illumina technology, the genomes of these individuals, and try to use this information to identify all the fixed, shared, and polymorphic duplications that had emerged on all the different branches of the great apes, with a specific focus on trying to identify the duplications that were specific to the human lineage. So I'm not going to go into great detail on this because this is something that we presented uh, uh, now several years ago. But shown here is just a map of one of our chromosomes, chromosome 16. What I'm highlighting here in this color map is all the, all the duplicated sequences that exist in different apes. So what's represented here is each row represents a different individual. There are 10 rows corresponding to 10 humans that were actually characterized. 14 that correspond to the bonobo, which is indicated by the green air, air, large arrow, blue, the chimpanzee, gorilla, there were 32 individuals that were analyzed, and orangutan, 17. So I hope you can get from this immediately that the actual copy number of the duplicated sequences indicated by this color that's shown here on the right. So the warmer the color, the higher the copy. Everything indicated in black means that it's not duplicated in that species. So very quickly, when you look at this, you can immediately, your eye can identify lineage-specific duplications and really gives you an impression of how much turnover there has been in the different ape lineages. So here, for example, is a duplication that is human-specific. All humans have this duplicated segment, which is hundreds of kilobases, and no other ape has this. And you can find similarity things that are actually specific to the orang orangutan or the gorilla, as is this piece right here, and so on. So there's a couple of interesting points here. First off, there's a lot of variability, as we already mentioned, and there are regions that have extremely high copy number, which are highlighted here in terms of the red arrows. In terms of the amount of genetic change that has occurred between humans and other non-human apes, if you just count the number of megabases that are affected by single nucleotide variants versus the number that are affected by duplicated sequences in terms of copy number variation, you get 167 to 469 megabases. What this is telling you is that this type of mutational process is extremely common in the primate lineage. In fact, four times more bases are affected by signal duplication copy number variation than there are between SNPs. In terms of genes, 745 genes are affected by these, and at least 45 gene families we've identified that seem to be specific and fixed in the human lineage. The other really interesting thing that we still to this day don't have a good explanation for is that the rate of accumulation in terms of fixed duplications is non-uniform across the different branches. So this is a generally accepted tree of the relationship all the way from the Asian apes or the great apes known as the orangutan all the way down to humans, chimps, and gorillas. And the thickness of the line that I'm showing you here 
is the number of fixed duplicated bases that have been added for every substituted single nucleotide base on this branch. So the one thing I want you to get, other than the fact that these, these thicknesses are not uniform across the species, is that there seems to be a huge excess that has occurred in a common ancestral lineage leading to humans, chimps, and gorillas. So one way to think about this is that for every base pair that's been mutated in the different primate lineages around this time, there were 2.6 bases that have become copy number variable largely as a result of duplication process. So duplications have actually reshaped in very subtle ways the genomes of humans, chimps, and gorillas. So what about the human-specific genes? Well, this is a subset of those human-specific genes. And I'm not going to go into great detail on the gene and the gene families, but this is just to show you the copy number estimations that we have in terms of the number of copies that have been seen in different human population groups. And the gray indicate the copy number that we see in chimps, orangutan, and gorilla. So two would be consistent with a diploid genome, which means it's not duplicated. So you can see this variability, but perhaps the most interesting thing is if we look at the gene families, what we find is that there's a notable enrichment of human-specific genes that are associated with the development of the human brain. So since those discoveries over the last decade, our group and several other groups has actually systematically begun to characterize these genes. And there's now close to a half a dozen gene families that have been identified that are associated with properties that would be consistent with the expansion of the human brain. One of the first was this slit robo-GTPase activating protein called SIRGAP2C, which evolved about two to three million years ago on the human branch. It created a truncated protein that heterodimerizes with its ancestral function to alter the dendrite morphology, the density of synapses, and then more recent data, long-range connectivity differences in the human brain. There was another gene that was particularly worked on by uh, Wieland Huttner from the Max Planck Institute called RGAP11B. It emerged quite early in the evolution of the human after separation from chimp about 4 million years ago. And this gene appears to have acquired an entirely new function. It increases the number of basal radial glial cells in the developing brain. These are progenitors of neurons. And as a result, increase neuronal count and expand the subventricular zone at least based on transgenic experiments that have been done in non-human uh, primates. BOLA2B is a very interesting gene. It's probably the youngest duplication. Uh, it is so young, it actually distinguishes essentially humans from Neanderthals. So this is the largest genetic difference that exists in the species Homo sapiens that distinguishes us from Neanderthals and Denisova. Uh, what's interesting about this is this gene isn't necessarily associated with any changes in brain function, but is, in, is associated with increased stability in iron homeostasis intracellularly, which may be important in terms of metabolism, specific in environments where iron may be, be, be uh, low levels. Notch2NL is a gene discovered and characterized uh, in part by Ian Fittis from David Hauser's group. It's once again a partial duplication expressed in radioglial cells. And in this particular case, it interacts and interferes with its ancestral function, Notch2, and delays neuronal progenitor differentiation. And finally, TBC1D3 is a gene that was identified a few years back. It's similar to RGAP11B, appears to increase 
the prolifer proliferation of basal neuroprogenitors. And it actually increases cortical folding. It's thought by suppressing histone methyltransferases. But I think I want to kind of emphasize that there's this kind of this bias that we see in terms of the duplicated sequences being incredibly important for the evolution of really the human brain, at least based on functional data. At the same time that those duplications are actually leading to the evolution of new genes with new functions in the human lineage, there's evidence that of the five examples that I highlighted, that four of them are also associated with human disease, specifically increasing the rate of rearrangements associated with autism, epilepsy, and developmental delay. So for example, that RGAP11B gene that I described is part of a duplication block that predisposes to one of the most common causes of rearrangements associated with generalized idiopathic epilepsy in children. The BOLA2B, which occurs maps to chromosome 16P1 2.1, is part of a 600 kilobase duplication that predisposes to microdeletion and microduplication of that region, creating the second most common cause of autism in the human species. NOTCH2NL causes a recurrent microdeletion or is part of a duplication that is associated with a recurrent microdeletion associated with micro and macrocephaly and pediatric disease in children. And finally, TBC1D3 is a gene family that exists at two locations and rearrangements between those two gene families is associated with a pediatric form of renal cyst and kidney disease. So I emphasize these two things because these highlight a juxtaposition that exists in our genome. We have created these new genes as a result of duplications, but we've also added a lability to our species, now predisposing us to having children with developmental delay, autism, and epilepsy. So everything that I showed you up to this point was based on trying to characterize duplicated sequences largely indirectly. And there has been a fundamental limitation of all sequencing of ape genomes until recently is that they're riddled with gaps. And in fact, the gaps map specifically to the duplicated regions. And so many of the genes that we identified as actually being important were not even sequenced and assembled as part of the original human genome project. So over the last five years, we've been applying new sequencing technology known as long read sequencing. And we've been doing it to systematically build up the ape or non-human ape genomes to get a better catalog of all the structural and genetic differences that have occurred in not only duplicated sequences, but in complex regions of the genome. So I'm not gonna go with, into all the technical details in terms of how this was achieved, and I'd be happy to discuss with people later about this. But the take home is this, is we're now at a point, instead of actually inferring changes that have occurred in our lineage with respect to others, that we can now sequence almost entirely the chromosomes of chimps, gorillas, and orangutans completely. And so what I'm showing you here is a view comparing the complete sequence, telomere to telomere, of a human chromosome 11 compared to that of the bonobo. And anywhere you see large-scale differences, indicated here by white, um, they correspond to, to massive changes that have occurred in our genome. So in some areas of the genome, we expect this kind of rapid turnover, such as the centromeres. But in others, these often are gene-rich regions that we now can fully sequence characterize for the first time. So this is one example. This is another example. This is the short arm of chromosome 16, just to give you a comparison of how much 
large-scale structural changes, so this is megabases of sequence, that have changed between the bonobo pygmy chimp and that of the human. So the really important point is now with long-read sequencing technology, we can go back to those non-human apes and more thoroughly characterize all the structural changes that have shaped our genomes. And so this is what we've been doing. So we've been busy over the last three or four years actually sequencing many different non-human primates. Uh, so we've actually characterized now eight different genomes, not quite at telomere to telomere level, but very close to it. And we're actually building out a complete map of all the structural variant changes that have occurred on each branch. So just to give you a little idea of what you're looking at here, these are the different branches with the new world monkeys indicated here. This is the gibbon. This is an example of an old world monkey and then the apes below. The red indicate deletions that have occurred on each of these branches that are fixed. The blue indicate insertions that have occurred on the different branches. And the squares that are highlighted here indicate the number of genes that have been affected in a lineage-specific manner by structural variant processes. So there's two numbers here, and that might seem a little bit confusing, but we broke out these two numbers to really highlight sites of the genome. So in this case, there are 223 structural changes that affected the gene structure in a branch leading to essentially the, uh, in this case, the owl monkey. But there are 156 that are unique. And so the rest of these that are the difference between 223 and 156 have been seen somewhere else in the primate lineage. So we've so far cataloged and sequence resolved 1.3 million structural changes that are fixed. 1,561 genes are affected. And what's surprising to us is about 25% of these changes are recurrent. That is to say they're occurring multiple times in different primate lineages, leading to fixed differences, as if there are specific regions of a genome that are more apt to undergo rapid change. The other thing that we've been able to do very recently in the last two years is begin to look at methylation structure of these regions. So as many of you know, methylation is often a good indication of what's being transcribed and what isn't being transcribed. And what we've been able to do is look at the pattern of methylation in the duplicated regions, and specifically CPG methylation, which is coming from Oxford Nanopore. And what we've been able to do is distinguish active genes, which are indicated, or inactive genes indicated here as untranscribed, from active genes, which indicated here as highly transcribed. And there's a very characteristic properties that distinguish those. So looking at the 1,200 or so duplicated genes highlighted here in red, we see that there's a very characteristic feature, which is that the transcription start site is hypomethylated, so a low level is CPG methylation, while the gene body shows high levels of methylation. And why that's important is we can now go to individual genes that are virtually identical, such as this gene family called NPIP, and we can distinguish the active copies, in this case, A9 and A1 with their 69 and 57 transcripts, versus inactive, in this case, NPIP-A5 and NPIP-A7. And you can see that the methylation patterns here are very diagnostic. So I'm really excited by this because we now have the ability to look at not only the complete sequence of the duplicated genes, but actually how they are regulated in different tissues for the first time. The other thing we can do is we can go back to these genetic changes and we can fully sequence resolve the structure the differences that exist between the chimp and the human. And so as an example, 
I'm showing you here a part of chromosome 17, which is the human is along the top and the chimpanzee in the bottom, and then there's a blow up below. But this is a region of the genome which has expanded dramatically in the human branch since separation. And there's been an expansion of this gene family TBC1D3. Now, if you remember in the very beginning of the presentation, I told you that TBCD3 was one of those genes that's been implicated in actually increasing the number of basal radioglial cells, increasing the number of neurons that exist in our genome. And yet there's this dramatic expansion in the number of genes in chimp versus essentially human. So now that we've sequenced the genomes of, in this case, I'm showing you here, macaque, orangutan, and gorilla, chimpanzees, and humans, we can go back and ask questions about the evolutionary history of this gene family. And there are surprises. So I told you before that it was a human-specific expansion, and that is true. So when we build a phylogenetic tree of the different copies labeled here all the way to, through A through, through L, you can see that there is truly a human expansion of this gene, and specifically compared to that of the bonobone chimp. However, when we go and look at gorilla, orangutan, and macaque, we see that this exact same gene has actually expanded independently in those lineages, which is a bit of a surprise for us because we, had, we were under, under the impression that this would be just a human-specific gene family, at least compared to essentially that of uh, the chimpanzee. The timing of the duplication is consistent with the frontal ex expansion, the frontal cortical expansion two to two and a half million years ago, with the most recent ones occurring in the last million years. But it's clear that the gene family has been prone to independent duplications in different ape lineages. Um, and the basis for this or the consequence of this is largely unknown. The other surprising thing is now that we've been able to sequence this locus in its entirety, we've been able to go back and look at different humans and different human haplotypes. So I'm showing you here six different human haplotypes. So each of these represents a different region uh, or a, a, the same region, allelic portion of this chromosome. And the red arrows indicate the actual TBC1D3, that gene that's thought to be important in terms of expansion of the frontal cortex. And you can see that every human that we sequenced has, in this case, chimp has no copies at this locus, has an increase compared to chimpanzee. But the real surprising thing to us, at least, is how much variability there is between humans and massive variability. So this is a, a simpler way to look at many more humans. So you're looking here at about 80 different humans. And what I'm indicating here is the copy number range that exists for one of these loci that carries this gene TBC1D3 and its range and copy from five to 25, depending upon the human that you've sampled. And the part that puzzles us is how can a gene that is so important in terms of building a bigger brain, at least with respect to, to chimpanzee, as the literature would suggest, could be so variable in the human population. We don't have the answer yet, but I am highlighting this as an example of probably one of the most dynamic and heterogeneous regions in terms of heterozygosity in the human genome and the new information that's coming from long read sequencing. So in conclusion, the focus of this uh, is supposed to be the future anthropogeny, a future of anthropogeny. I guess if I was going to stress anything is that we're now on the cusp of complete genetic information from humans with respect to non-human apes. 
So far, we've cataloged about 1.3 million fixed structural changes over the last 40 million years of primate evolution. And there's a common theme of recurrence, i.e. the same genes being affected multiple times as if they're being reused in multiple primate lineages to perhaps accomplish different things uh, in each of the primate lineages. We now have the ability to study at the sequence level the birth of new genes. And I think the focus on recent segmental duplications is allowing us to do this for the first time, um, really to understand differences between our lineage and other, all other apes, but also the variation within species and how these genes are regulated. And so if I could imagine a future, maybe this is 10, 10 years out, but I don't think it's that far, with the ability to now sequence telomere to telomere, or very nearly so telomere to telomere, of every human and great ape genome that we can actually access, we have the potential to reconstruct the evolutionary history of each base in the human genome, irrespective of whether it's a single base pair change or a large-scale duplication. And that, I think, will transform not just really the field of anthropogeny, but actually, I would say, evolution more fundamentally. So these are all the folks who actually have been involved in some of the, the latest work that I presented, uh, various postdocs and students from my group, but also my collaborators, Adam Philippi and Karen Miga at NIH and UCSC, and great collaborators at Penn State. Uh, we've been working on actually sequencing more and more non-human apes and other non-human primate genomes. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.